I'm Jack Zamleka, and welcome to this episode of our 2021 Strip-Till Farmer podcast series supported by Environmental Tillage Systems. In today's program, we continue with the transitional takeaways from a consistently high-yielding strip-tiller on how his recent entry into the practice has broken through new yield barriers and improved nutrient efficiency. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series Currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to Environmental Tillage Systems for their support of this podcast series. At Environmental Tillage Systems, our mission is to provide progressive farmers with an innovative production system that profitably rebuilds the land. Contact ETS to discuss how the Soil Warrior can improve ROI on your farm at www.soilwarrior.com. Well, sharing yield barriers is part of David Hewlett's DNA. The Charles City, Virginia farmer is known for his record-breaking corn yields, but the results are not based on repetition. Rather, it's David's willingness to embrace change and accept the challenges of adopting a new farming philosophy. Starting in 2018, the longtime no-tiller began transitioning corn acres on his operation to strip-till, seeking more consistency in early emergence, targeted fertilizer placement, and yield growth. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, part two, supported by Environmental Tillage Systems, David analyzes the operational challenges, economic gains, and growth potential of transitioning to strip-tilled corn. What else is it allowing us to do? It's allowing us to help capture whatever moisture we have because in the middle of the bulks, you know, we're getting that, we have that no-till area that the residue or the undisturbed area that the residue is capturing the moisture. And then only where we have slopes where we're planting straight down the slope and we get a big rain right after we plant, do we see any uh, soil movement? After that, we don't see any soil movement at all. And we've been fortunate here recently that uh, we haven't had these big rains. I wish we would get some rains, but no big rains to blow stuff out. But once, you, once we've gotten these corn, this corn established, it's capturing all those nutrients. Now, we've dug, I've dug some root pits where we've run the strip till, where we've run the strip till without fertilizer, and where we've run the uh, no strip till and no fertilizer. And the, the observations that we're seeing with that root mass right there in that strip, because it's got a portion of the nitrogen that we want, it's got all the phosphate that it's going to need, it's got a significant portion of the potash that it's going to want, and then it's got the micronutrients. So when you as a grower, I would challenge you to go out in your own field and take a shovel and dig a hole where your roots are, and just see what they look like. See if you have any compaction. And then see where your roots are capturing your nutrients. And when you're doing the strip-till, we're seeing that proliferation of roots, you know, a big mass of roots there, but then also where the roots are moving out. Now, we do not, we have not had to do any deep stripping because we're fortunate we don't have a hard pan here. Now, we where we do get any kind of compaction, we may run a, a paratill just to kind of break that up and that heaves the soil, but we only do that on the headlands or if we have a low spot in the field where it's been 
a water set on it for a long, extended period of time, we may do that. Uh, but there are other pieces of equipment that can allow you to impregnate your fertilizer deeper. That could be advantageous to you, particularly if you're deficient in some nutrients, particularly like phosphate, and you want to get more phosphate in your whole profile. Or if you have that hard pan or that compacted layer, you can shatter that because you as a grower, if you go out in the field, and it, here's something a grower can do. You don't need to have one of those high expensive tools to see what kind of compaction you have. Most growers have a survey flag. If you don't have a survey flag, go find where somebody's done a corn hybrid plot and just pull one of them up. Be sure to put it back because that dictates what hybrid's planted out there. But if you can't push your survey flag in your soil in the advent of being a drought, then your roots aren't going to go very far neither. So if you see some compaction, then that's another area where you need to take a shovel, dig, see what's going on. And do that before you harvest, because then you while the plant's still growing. I know it's hot out there, but you got to get out there and do it. And these are things that you can build upon for 2021. You know, 2020 is almost behind us when it comes to raising corn. You know, we're still, for us, we're getting ready to do our last fungicide spray with a helicopter or an airplane aerial. We're still doing a little bit of fertilizer on our corn uh, with the uh, irrigation, so fertigating. But dryland corn, we're done. Other than a few fields, we'll do some aerial applications with some fungicide, some fertilizer, and insecticide. So other things that um, we're excited about with the strip-till rig, I have yet to plant any uh, seeding with it. Some folks have been able to successfully seed. I see uh, the ETS folks send me some uh, snap pictures of where they people planted some soybeans with it. But the thing I see about strip-till in the future is where we can start also putting some soil amendment properties out there. You know, whether it's some kind of uh, sugar source for your biology or whether it's some kind of humic acid to where we as growers, we're trying to get more and more from our fields and we're trying to get more from our crop. And as we're reducing our tillage, then we need to enhance whatever biology life we have. I was in, um, oh, middle part of New York a couple weeks ago. A good friend of mine, uh, Keith Jones, got a farm out there, and, and the wife, Miss Annie, and I went up there and had some good fellowship with them. And we went out and looked at some fields. And first of all, the thing that I saw most is the slugs. Here, I thought we had slugs as a problem. But, boy, the slugs that they had out there, and, you know, they were about as big as your little finger, where ours aren't quite that big. And I would suggest to them to go pick them, pull them out, and then put them somewhere cool and sell them as bait for fishing. Uh, but we did see the damage that they were doing. And this, he did some other things to help control them. But the strip till there, you know, if he were to run a strip till, that might give the seed a better chance to get a good start. Now, I know slugs can move. But that environment right there is warming up a little bit. We dealt with slugs back when we first started raising cotton for two years. And, you know, it caused us to do some spraying at nighttime. We didn't try the bait. But now I wish we had some strip-till environments there to where, hey, the soil would warm up a little bit better there. It would dry out a little bit quicker. 
and maybe the slugs wouldn't have that tendency to go to the crop nearly as fast. And then with as growers are dealing with uh, all this residue, you know, travel again out to New York or I go out to the Midwest, y'all's residue sticks around so much longer than it does here in Virginia and the Southeast. Because one thing that we have over y'all is we have a longer season, we have a lot of heat, and we have moisture. And with all that, that helps decay a residue. And when we first transitioned from tillage to a continuous no-till system, everybody said, oh my goodness, your organic matter is gonna go from that one and a half to 2.1 that we have. They were saying we'd see three or four. Well, that is far from the truth. We may have picked up two tenths to three tenths of a point, but we have not picked up a great amount because their residue is just breaking down so fast. Now you go out there and you can see all these wormholes where they're pulling the residue down and you know, it's just eating it up. But when you get out to environments where you're cooler, you don't have as much of a season, but yet you don't want to do all this tillage strip till to me, gives you that advantage to where you can work up that little bit of residue, get it incorporated in the soil, allow it to break down when you get some heat. Then if you start adding some other properties with it to enhance the biology, it'll start breaking down even faster. Now you have this zone without the residue, and then you can still have some other zones to capture the moisture. I did hear of an issue um, working with a, a group out in Nebraska where they run the strip till and then the wind. Now, we get wind when we get these named thunderstorms, but y'all get wind out, out west where it's just 60, 80 mile an hour. So we'll get these derecho wind shears, but nothing extended to where it moves a lot of residue. Well, some folks said they ran the strip till rig and then the residue, the wind blew the residue over top of the strip. Well, you lost a little bit of an advantage there unless you went and ran the strip till again. Or if you had a fresh dirt where you could just push the residue out because it's not pregnant, you just need to move it a little bit so you can get into that warmer soil environment. But the things that excite me for the strip till for the Midwest would be, hey, we can put some fertilizer in. We can also uh, work some nutrients in, uh, work the residue in, still capture the benefit of the no-till or the residue on the sides, but your soil is going to be warmer so you can get that seed to come off. Now, we have yet to plant soybeans in their strip-till environment. We still use a controlled spill method that uh, Kip Culler talks about. We use a drill uh, to plant air soybeans for several reasons. One, we're in the seed business, so cleaning out a lot. And probably the more important reason is we have a lot of white-tailed deer over here, and it's I want the deer to have to earn their appetite or their food as opposed to just go down the road. So we've elected to continue doing that. Oh. But one of the other things that surprised me when we first did the strip tilling, you know, I'm thinking, all right, after I plant corn and we side dress our corn and no-till, then we're going to no-till our small grain into that residue we see these streaks out in the field every 30 inches. And that's typically come from air band fertilizer or air starter. Because you got this wad of phosphate right there and a little bit of nitrogen. 
So we see these streaks. Then when we went to starter on both sides of the row, it kind of diminished those streaks a little bit. But then I'm like, all right, I got these strips out here with the soil warrior. We're going to see all these streaks cross the field. How am I going to fix that problem? Well, we planted a crop. The wheat came up. We fertilized the wheat like we normally would with some um, apodap. We didn't see those streaks. That's, that was one thing that surprised me. We've done it for this. We've used a strip till rig for this is the third season. The last two seasons, we have not seen those streaks in the field like we saw when we were just doing no-till with their start. So then I think, all right, now we've been doing some soil sampling. Pull the sample in the strips, pull the sample out of the strips. And we've gotten to where we're doing grid sampling on all our acres now. You know, we're getting smaller grids. We started out with uh, just, you know, years ago, we had a field, we just zigzagged across the field, put one bag in, of soil in, send to the lab. Now, how good a job do you think that is? Then we started doing, we kind of went into the Varus system. Let's pull this Varus machine across the field. It tells us their soil zones, kind of like a soil, uh, a soil, yeah, soil survey map. Break it up into these zones. Then we pull samples in those zones. Hey, that did a pretty decent job. Started variable rate. Then we realized, hey, we had some pH problems. So then we went into grid samples, two and a half acre grids. Fixed our pH problems, or at least we thought we did. And then now we've even broke those grids into smaller grids. And we're fine-tuning. It's almost like I've heard um, somebody say it's like an MRI compared to an X-ray. The more smaller grids you do, the more detailed it is. Well, with the Soil Warrior, now we can variably rate our nutrients. But how do you know what kind of nutrients to do? We'll get back to the discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, Environmental Tillage Systems, for making this podcast series possible. And also welcome in Amos Smith with Lawnell Farms in Pifford, New York, to share how his Soil Warrior started. We considered strip till about three years ago. Heavy continuous tillage definitely struck us as something that we needed to get away from. And we really like the strip till system because we can manage that crop residue while it's still alive. We don't have to actually burn it down. We think we're benefiting the soil by adding cover crops and a lot less tillage, which means we usually have a wider harvest window because we're not compacting the soil and we're not uh, faced with too mellow a soil in the fall. The soils are a lot healthier. It's just, it's a great system overall. Our goal is to achieve one pass. And if we can achieve one pass, we've already cut our labor in half. We're hopefully utilizing nutrients better because we're putting fertilizer down with the strip till. That was one of our goals, was to maximize our nutrient uptake with strip till as opposed to broadcast. 
and its ability to ride over foreign material like rocks. I think that definitely saves us money too. Thanks again Environmental Tillage Systems for their support of this series. At Environmental Tillage Systems, our mission is to provide progressive farmers with an innovative production system that profitably rebuilds the land. Contact ETS to discover how the Soil Warrior can improve ROI on your farm at SoilWarrior.com. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from David Hewlett on some of his strip building strategies. We've only done the strip till this year. We've followed the fields where we ran the strip till two years ago. And I was debating, do I stay in the same strip or do I move over and have another strip? Y'all, y'all got to realize, I, this is strip tilling is new to us. I'm excited about what we're seeing. I'm excited about the partnership we've had with the group because they, we have great support from the ETS folks. They're providing us with a wealth of information. And, I, and I'm sure there are other strip till machines, but we've had great success with this one. But where do we go? And it's like when we first started, how much fertilizer can you put in? If you, if you hang around me long enough, I want to push the envelope just enough to where I've possibly even killed some corn. They're like, okay, that's too much. Now, y'all, I'm not going to go try to push it on thousands of acres. We're just talking these small plots because we do a huge amount of small plot data before we start incorporating the bigger plots. But how much fertilizer can you put in strip down? On air soils. Air soils, you know, I mentioned organic matter is one and a half to two one. CECs are one to, their highest one is 6.7. That's their highest CEC soil. Most of our soils are in that three range. So we're dealing with sand. So we gotta be confident. We don't want too much salt in that sand because then it's going to burn, whether it'll be a soybean root or if we were strip tilling with small grain or corn, we don't want to jeopardize your seedling at all. That, again, irregardless of what crop you grow, you want uniform emergence. You can't have damage to your seedlings or your roots. So where do we go? So we, we did a little bit of both. I went in the same strip, and then we moved over. And we'll have better data again. I'm still learning. I'm a... I'm an infant, and I know this is, I think he, Jack said this is the seventh year of the Stilkfield Conference. Their fellows have been doing it much longer than we have, I know, and have great success. Uh, it's just humbling for me to get an opportunity to talk to the group about our involvement with strip tilling. So when we're doing the soil sampling, you know, we're pulling a core out of the strip every so often. We're not just staying in the strip, but we're mixing that soil together. I have done some soil sampling just in the strips, some soil sampling out, just doing some testing to see. And then we've played with a lot of rates. And, you know, we've tried to kill some stuff with some corn. And fortunately, I haven't done any damage to any corn yet, but we have learned a great deal. And, you know, other things that excites me about the strip till is when it comes to the compaction, you know, you got a piece of a tillage equipment. You know, when you run a disc, what does a disc do? Works the soil up, gets you a little compacted layer or a compacted zone. And then if you get into some of the sand soil, sandy soils that we have, you can create an actual hard pan that's almost impenetrable. But the strip till, you know, with the equipment, the way this particular rig works, 
it's, it's moving the weight from the tires to the tillage equipment, so we don't have all this down pressure from these tires to where we're minimizing air. We're watching air control traffic patterns is what I'm trying to get at. And so we're not jeopardizing what we're dealing with because their soil, that's the most important thing that we have, y'all. And when I think about, again, how am I influencing yield? And ROI, as my agronomist Paul keeps telling me, where are you picking up bushels? It's back to the emergence. I'm just doing a little quick little recap. It's back to our emergence. How we can get that soil warmer, how we can get it to dry out. Didn't even talk about that. If you're dealing with a wetter environment and you're in no-till, well, you're going to have to wait till things dry up. And it takes longer for no-till, particularly if you have a cover crop, for it to dry up than it does if you just have a dead residue there. And if you run these strips, now those strips are drying and we can get out there sooner planting corn when conditions are right. There's nothing more aggravating than you're waiting for the soil to warm up and a window of an opportunity to say it's time to plant. And then all of a sudden you got too wet a soil. So where these strip tails, we noticed that they dried up quicker. So again, warming up, yield is coming on emergence, and then a benefit is the saving on the fertilizer. Now, I'm not one to try to save myself to prosperity. If you're going to produce 200 bushels of corn, if we can agree it takes one pound of nitrogen to grow a bushel of corn, and we'll say three quarters to a pound of potash, or a third to a four-tenths of a pound of phosphate, and you're growing 200 bushels of corn, you know what it takes. If you're gonna grow 250, you gotta add enough for 50 more bushels of corn. If you're gonna to go to 300, you gotta add more fertilizer. You can't save yourself to prosperity. And if, y'all, if we've had success growing 400 plus bushel of corn, well, it's taking fertilizer to do that. We're tweaking our management from fertilizer. We're tweaking our management from uh, emergence, hybrids. Now we're tweaking the tillage. And we have seen our yields go up. There was a, I remember 2011 maybe. I, the dates ex escape me, but we were stuck in a yield barrier of 330 to 350 bushels an acre. A good friend of mine, Philip Davis, who's with um, Genesis Ag at the time, or he's with Genesis Ag, helped me figure out a, a area in which we were trying to get past this 300 to 350 bushel year barrier. And we said we needed to get our plant micronutriently balanced early in its life cycle before we really started hitting the NPK sulfur. And we did that. And that one year, we got to, I think it was like 380-some bushels. Y'all, it's not bad to be stuck in that 330 or 350, but when you jump past that and you got into the 380s, that was exciting because now it was one thing that we changed, and we picked those bushels up. And we've been kind of increasing yields ever since. But then in, um, when we were introduced to the Soil Warrior, we did 
did some strip tilling in one of the farms to the west. Uh, my son was running the rig, putting out fertilizer, and that was one of the first years we really got into a different category yield. And then last year in, in 2019, we ran that strip till rig, had the absolute best emergence we have ever had. We didn't shave our fertilizer back in that we put the same amount of fertilizer that we would have broadcast in those strips. And that was nitrogen, phosphorus, potash, um, sulfur. We didn't, we didn't do any boron. We had some zinc. We had the absolute best emergence. And I give credit to that strip till rig for that because we had some straight no-till environments that we had decent emergence, but nothing compared to what we had with that strip till. And we saw things, you know, we were seeing suckers that we'd never seen before. And then we, then we were able, we had double ears. I don't know how many people walk in their cornfield and they stop the pickup. How many of y'all actually get out of your pickup and walk in your cornfield? I wish we could have a, I could see a show of hands. But literally, don't just drive by and say the crop looks good. Stop the pickup and walk out. I got a lot of neighbors need to do that because the corn doesn't look so bad in, in these dry land environments. It doesn't look so bad on the outside, but they stop if they were to stop, walk, open the pickup and walk out 40, 50 rows out in the field. And I'm not just saying one planter pass. I'm saying go out in the field. They're going to be shocked with their combine this fall if they hadn't done that. Because their yields are going to not be nearly as good as they thought. But last year in 2016, you know, we – Irrigated environment, so we're controlling the moisture as best we can. But we saw suckers. You know, roughly each plant had a sucker, but most of them had two suckers, and they didn't keep both of them, but one of them died off. And then we retained uh, double ears, two ears. We were able to keep a high percentage of those double ears to where they actually made a grain. A lot of times you see a second ear, and that ear may have a few kernels on it, but we were able to maintain 300 to 600 kernels on that second ear. That's a lot of free bushels. We still had a very good primary, it had seven, 800 kernels on it, but then when you can throw another 300 or 600 on a significant portion, that's where the extra bushels came from. I give credit to the strip till because now we had more of that fertilizer in that band, now not everybody's going to shoot for that kind of high yield. But even if you're shooting for your average yield or so, we're getting to where we're being more efficient. And I don't want to keep being redundant. I know, Jack, I know we're probably getting close on time here. And I want to be sure to save time for some questions. And I'll be very much involved when we air this out. So I'll come in online. But I think for me, David, being part of the Strip-Till Conference in the seventh year and me being a new guy, having an opportunity to talk to y'all, it's just been humbling. And, you know, I can only give praise to good Lord for air successes. And I trust everybody's going to be safe during this season. And we all know, you know, whether we've personally experienced it or we have friends, we know how dangerous farming can be, and we get in a rush. I know I get in a rush, and uh, we just got to be sure that we're patient and that we have a successful harvest, bountiful harvest, 
And hopefully in 2021, the Strip Till Conference can get together and we can have that fellowship that we so covet and get to exchange ideas more so than just uh, in a virtual setting. So without ado, I'd like to turn it all over to any questions if need be. So I look forward to that. Well, thank you, David, for sharing some of your initial experiences and benefits transitioning into strip-tilled corn. And again, we'd like to thank and recognize our sponsor, Environmental Tillage Systems, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest strip-till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptillfarmer.com for our free strip-till strategies daily e-newsletter and be sure to follow us on Twitter at Striptill, F-A-R-M-R, and on our Striptill Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2021 podcast series. For David Hula, Environmental Tillage Systems, and our entire staff here at Striptill Farmer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening. <music>